0: The Soul Conversations, a podcast where two Korean adoptees unpack what it means to be Asian and adopted by discussing culture, race, history, and sharing adopted stories. I'm Benny. And I'm Sinead. On this week's episode, I'll be sharing my adoption story and answering some questions that people might be wondering. And then Sinead, you're up next week. We have a lot to talk about today. First of all, how are you doing? I'm
1: doing well. How about you?
0: Good, good. Second episode. I thought the first one, we talked about a lot of good stuff.
1: Yeah, for sure. I'm excited to dive in a little bit deeper to each of our respective experiences to help listeners get to know us a little bit better and more about our backgrounds.
0: Yeah, and I know we have a lot to talk about in future episodes, but I agree. Hearing our stories might bring some context to a lot of our experiences um, as we grew up and now as adults. So with that, I'll go into my story, I will preface this. Some of these things that I'll say today, I really haven't told anyone, and maybe I'll dive into that a little bit later, but I am a little bit nervous, and hopefully I don't have any sort of breakdown, not that I've been planning on it, but I think the first episode was great to get to know us a little bit, but this story hopefully sheds a different light on adoption and what it means to be a transracial adoptee, and I'll just dive right in. But before I get into my adoption, it might be good to lay out that I do have an adopted older brother and sister, something that we hit on previous episodes. And last week, I actually had an opportunity to talk with my mom about my adoption, and it came up more organically. And that's interesting to me as I think about it out loud and say it out loud, at 35 years old. I still have a lot of remaining questions about my adoption and my history. And it's still almost hard to talk about my adoption story with my parents and with other people. I think it's due to protective barriers Uh, since that I was a kid. I didn't really want to talk about it. I really wanted to assimilate with what my friends' stories were, what their experiences were growing up. And I really felt ashamed of who I was and didn't want anything to do with my Korean heritage. And a lot of times. To be quite honest, I hated who I was and wanted to distance myself from anything Korean. So, to talk about these things, even recently with my mom, I'm still learning new things every day. Just because it's been hard, maybe to talk about it with with my parents and with other people. It was also interesting because during this call, it was my first time letting my mom know that we were doing this podcast. And Sinead, we were already kind of pre-recording some stuff last year. I didn't tell her then. But I think it was more out of, I think, you know, there's some tough things that happened and I didn't want my parents to feel bad or feel like they raised me the wrong way or they didn't raise me right. And I was anxious to hear what she had to say. So I think a couple of years ago would have been a lot different. But honestly, since the last election, there had been a lot of things that were brought to light that kind of related to my background and my origin story. And that came out almost in aggressive conversations with my parents my parents and myself have different social and political views. But I think that really provided an opportunity for me to talk about my experiences as a kid. And um, they weren't always great. And I know my parents felt terrible hearing about that for the first time when I was talking about it as a young, you know, 29, 30-year-old. But I think those conversations were helpful that, you know, when I asked her about it, she said, you know, it is what it is. Those things happened. And Dad and I are really, you know got to be comfortable with what you're saying because we don't want you to miss out on anything that needs to be said or help anybody that could be helped. So I was really actually surprised and happy to hear that she said that. But yeah, about my Korean adoption story, I don't know everything yet about my adoptions, and my parents don't know everything either about my history or who my birth parents were or why they you know set me up for adoption. but that's okay. So my parents got married at a young age. In a small rural farming community in Wisconsin, in the middle of the heartland, Dad was a dairy farmer. Mom was a bank teller. She did various jobs for the county, including being their clerk. I knew my parents as hardworking, blue-collar Christian reform. Um, they weren't college-educated. They were the kind of a family that you would see on a you know on a poster that says. Family in the middle of the heartland. They were both white, and something that we'll talk about a little later, why that might be important. And my mom and dad uh, couldn't have kids. They both knew they wanted to adopt. So the first thing that did was starting by looking at adoption options through the state, specifically in this case, Wisconsin. Um, The process was really long. There was a lot of checks and balances, so to speak. I think the process took over a year. The building that they were working with through the state moved and they lost all their dockings at one point. So I know it was a, a really long journey to have my parents adopt their first kid. It wasn't me. And that's when my brother comes in. My brother, Jason, was adopted finally in 1977. He's eight years older than me. He was white and the oldest out of all the kids in the family. And at that time, state services really suggested that adopted kids have other brothers or sisters in the family. So the child could be raised to have other kids to interact with. A lot different times back then. Because of this, my parents wanted to have more kids, and they decided to adopt again. According to my mom, though, during that time, abortions became more widespread and legal, and there was actually less opportunity to adopt, at least in the state of Wisconsin. Um, and I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. So, with that being said, my mom and dad, you know, had this little baby, Jason knew they wanted to have at least one more kid. So they started exploring other options. And specifically, you know, they looked at other places outside the country and were considering places like Russia and other East Asian countries. And I asked my mom, why did she choose Korea? And one of the reasons that she said was really interesting was that at that time, a lot of countries felt really proud. They didn't want to give up their own children to other countries, specifically America. And so it wasn't like you could go to any other country and say, do you have adoption services? Because some of those countries really weren't open to giving their kids away, so to speak. I know that's, you know, maybe a harsh term, but I thought that was interesting. So that really limited them to a few countries. And one of them was the Southern and Eastern Asian countries. And it kind of brought my mom back to the reasoning of my dad was actually in the Vietnam War. And he met a lot of Vietnamese people, and at some point in time, they considered adopting someone from that area of the world because they thought, you know, well, there's kids in Wisconsin that need help and need adopted, but so do other people in other countries. So that's where they kind of settled on Korea. And this is where my sister comes in. My sister was born in 1981 from South Korea through a service with the regional religious entity tied to Hold International, which now you kind of covered in the first episode. She was actually left and kept in an orphanage before my parents adopted her. And another interesting thing, because it's a little bit timely with the royal family, we're recording this in March of 2021, is something that my mom said to me a couple years ago, is that not everyone in the family was... Maybe I should say excited to have a brown baby in the family, and just don't want to name any names. It's not that it matters, but I think you know that's something that really hit with me this week with the news breaking. I didn't read the whole transcript or listen to the interview, but I just heard bits and pieces of it. That um, back then it was something even within our own you know circle of family that not everyone was quite open yet to having a baby that didn't look like them in the family. But she also told me after Missy arrived in the airport, everyone in the family was ecstatic and really happy and proud of my parents. And all my cousins and uncles and aunts accepted us into their families like their own. But I did want to point that out that there was stuff like that happening even in families like mine. And then came me. I was adopted in 1985 from Korea as well. My sister came from a different family. We did not know each other. I was brought up in foster care. There wasn't really any documentation of who I was or what I did besides like I had a couple bottles of milk for lunch today and that was it. So there wasn't really any other documentation about that. And my adoption was pretty quick. I think it took four months. I can't remember what happened with my sister, but I knew it took a long time planning to get through and get the adoption set up in the first place. But then there was a lot of red tape to get a child adopted. For me, it was a quick process. It was only four months. And in November of that same year, 1985, I was brought on a plane to Chicago where my parents met me in the airport. And from there, the rest was kind of history. That's kind of my adoption story. I look back on it today. And I think as a young adult and as a kid, I always question and wonder, you know, why did God bring us together the way that he did? I think as I grew up as an adult, my faith and religion has morphed as well as my views on my adoption as well. Not that they're intertwined, but there is some correspondence with that. My family was deeply religious. My parents still are. And those questions always came up. But I can say today that whether I believe in spiritual things like that or not, I do think there is a a reason that we were all brought together um, the way that we were. And I'm really happy that my parents decided to look in other countries to adopt my sister and myself, and that they could bring us back to Wisconsin and we could be a great family.
1: Listening to your story, it's so interesting. And I know we've said this several times before that There are so many similarities, I think, for so many of us who are not only adoptees, but transracial, transnational adoptees, but also just the differences in our stories and how important those are as well. I think one thing that stuck out to me was when you were talking about your extended family and their sort of initial thought about having a child from another country in the family. And it stood out to me because... There were sort of similar circumstances or conversations in my family as well, although for a little bit of a different reason, which we can get into next week. But I wonder how common that is, or is that common for Mm -hmm. families that adopt kids from other countries? How do they open it up to the rest of the family? Is it not uncommon to be met with some questions, even if it's from... Mm -hmm a totally benign place. The question of, well, what is that child going to phenotypically look like? Or, you know, there's really no kind way to ask that question and how they choose to navigate that. So that was really interesting. Yeah. I have a couple questions for you. First of all, what was it like growing up with siblings who were also adoptees? I'm particularly curious about your sister because you're both- Mm -hmm adopted from the same country, but your different genders, your different ages. So I'm curious, did you mm-hmm. find that you felt bonded by that shared experience? Or did you have or do you have completely different perspectives and feelings about being adopted even into the same family?
0: Yeah, that's a that's a great question. I guess, you know, if there was a playbook of what it feels like to have a brother and sister, and you know, you could read that ahead of time and then go through it. And know what you knew from that playbook. You could predict what that feels like, but there was no prior context of what quote-unquote normal childhood should feel like or what it's like to have a brother or a sister. And that's to be expected. Everyone has different experiences. But on top of that, what is it like to have an adopted brother and an adopted sister from different parents who also look different. Those things as a kid, I really didn't think deeply about, maybe because I, I didn't know what to think about or, or what it meant. You know, I, I came through and was just trying to be a normal kid. And I think myself interacted with my brother. I remember taking all the couch cushions off my parents' furniture, and playing tackle football in a literal basement that had concrete on on the floor. Him taking me to basketball practice at 5.30 in the morning. My sister, you know, we had great experiences too. We had different experiences as well. And I think at many points in my life and at many circumstances, I felt like this is a normal family. We're, We're brother and sister. There is nothing different. But I think there was a lot of outside opinions and thoughts that made me realize that I was different, that we were different. And I couldn't really put my thumb on it. And looking back on it, I knew that that affected me. I don't know if it affected my brother or sister, but I definitely felt maybe that there wasn't this bond or closeness that I couldn't realize at the time until I was older, that maybe that's what it was, where I maybe didn't feel like I was closest with my parents or my brother and sisters, maybe someone who was born into a more traditional family. And I, I know today that there are some barriers that are put up because there's some scars that the things I don't like to talk about or revisit when I was a young kid that I, I'm finally opening up to now that really puts up a protective barrier. And I, I think that does affect how open I can be with my brother or sister. But today, they live in Wisconsin yet, I still feel we have a really good relationship. I bet it might be different than maybe the traditional family might look like.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I know we had, you and I have talked in the past about gender roles and gender identity um, and how that differs, particularly for Asian men and women. And you had talked about how when you were growing up, you really kind of wanted to disassociate from being Korean and you really wanted to assimilate. Do you think Think I mean, maybe not as a child, were you cognizant of it, but thinking back, having a brother who, even though he wasn't your parents' biological child, but the fact that he was A, so much older than you, and B, also that he was white, do you think that that impacted you in some way? Like, was there... Not competition, but were there any feelings around that and seeing him navigate the world as a white male versus how you navigated the world?
0: Yeah, that's a really interesting question. And to be honest, I have never thought about that before. And I think it's because those feelings never crossed my mind. Mm -hmm. Never crossed my mind that he was white and I was Korean and we had different lives and some things might be better or different. For him, or worse for him than for me. I just thought of him as a brother because that's what people told us to do. You know, people are brothers and sisters and they're supposed to be your family. And that's how we acted. And I only think those types of thoughts that we weren't traditional brother and sister came up is when we were in public places with other people. Mm -hmm. You know, when we were opening presents during Christmas or around family dinners, those things never crossed my mind. He's my brother; I love him. But you know, when we start going into public, those are the times where you start preparing yourself to answer questions that people might ask, or you go through scenarios where might be prepared to act a certain way. So, really, never really crossed my mind until you know I got older and older thoughts and experiences really crept in.
1: Right. What was your family's approach regarding you know, conversations around race and adoption? Did they ever need to come out and tell you that you were adopted? Or did you just sort of always know if things were pointed out in public spaces? Was it something that you guys talked about it as a family, either in the moment or afterwards?
0: Yeah, we really didn't talk about race or me being too different that much, to be honest. And part of it, it was because my parents were, were going through this for the first time too. They didn't really have any context or anything to go off of to say, here's how you should raise a Korean baby and a family that looks way different in a culture that is way different. And there wasn't resources like there were maybe today of, you know, places to go to to get support or help. And I think my parents were hoping and thinking that everything was going to be okay. I know my parents often talked about when they heard my stories growing up and maybe being a little bit difficult, was that they they had those thoughts. They knew it could be difficult for a child to be raised that it looks different. That's Korean in a very white area of the world. And I think as I grew up, I hid a lot of those things to my parents, a lot of things I went through. So partly was me just not telling them, but I I think they knew that that I hurt. Mm-hmm. And um there really wasn't a clear channel of communication where I could express my feelings fully so they could get the support that I need if there was any. Mm -hmm. Um, And one of the questions that I I see you have for me is, when did you realize that you were adopted? It kind of goes hand in hand with that too. You know, I didn't really know I was different when I was born, obviously, but it was at a very young age. I remember I was still small enough for my mom to carry in her arms so really young boy. And one day she decides to go to the mall to go shopping. And obviously me being a little kid, I can't stay by home by myself. She takes me along with her. And it's always, you know, something that I always hated, you know, I got to go along with mom and watch her, you know, look for clothes. But I remember I was just a couple feet away with her looking at some other things while she was looking at a rack of pants or something like that. And A little boy who couldn't have been much older than me, I'm thinking maybe like three or four years old, came around the corner and pulled his fingers to his eyes and squinted at me. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really know the magnitude of what that meant or what it actually meant at all, to be honest, but I knew it was bad. I knew he was making fun of me and I started sobbing and my mom um, picked me up and carried her back. Out of the store. We didn't talk about it at all. Um, but I know at that very young age, my mom knew that, you know, eventually we're going to have to talk about these things, even when I was a couple of years old.
1: Mm-hmm. It must be so hard as a parent. I mean, I think as any parent, regardless of the circumstances, to see your kid be hurt or be in pain or be struggling. So I'm sure that it must have been equally hard for her. And I'm sure she probably also had just as many questions as you did in terms of, you know, how do I handle this? How do we have this conversation when the time comes? It's definitely challenging for, I think, all sides.
0: Mm -hmm. I know, you know, I mentioned a little bit earlier that my parents, my dad, and my mom, I have mentioned my dad a lot. Him and I don't talk a lot about in-depth things. We talk about the sports teams and all those things. But again, deep down, <laughs> I love my dad. and He loves me. We just don't talk about those things <laughs> in, in depth. But uh, I do talk a lot about that stuff with my mom more often. And when we were having conversations in my late 20s and early 30s about my experiences, I finally started opening up to them. I know they, especially my mom, was just heartbroken. I don't think she knew the extent of you know the hurt that I went through, being different and growing up. And I think she put a lot of blame on herself to the point where I maybe she at one point said, I'm sorry that we adopted you.
1: Mm. I wouldn't have
0: done it if we knew, you know, this was gonna be so horrible for you.
1: Wow.
0: And I think that's where it's like you pointed out it's hard for both sides and I'm going through this world like, God, this world is against me. Why is why do I have to be Korean and why I have to look like this and be different? And you're totally right. My parents went through the same type of hurt in a different way. And I'm really happy that circumstances with the world came up where we were forced to have these conversations of race and all these other things that are important to talk about. And I think it brings up a lot of things that hurt us, but I also think it brings a lot of closure and it brings a lot of healing too, as well. Mm
1: -hmm. Absolutely. The conversation is such a huge part of all of that. Do you have any advice for other transracial adoptees who maybe are going through similar experiences that you went through growing up or maybe they did go through similar experiences?
0: Yeah, and hopefully there's an opportunity to talk about more uh, more specific circumstances I went through later on in the podcast episodes. I did keep it kind of general today because there's, there's a lot of different stories I think people can relate to and, and hopefully find support in this podcast. But first off, every day, there's not a literal second that I don't think about who I am and what my identity is.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think my closest of closest friends think they know who I am. Even my family thinks I know who I am. But a lot of times I feel like I'm an imposter Still trying to fit in. And there's a lot of circumstances where, you know, you put on one face to appeal to one crowd and put on a different face to appeal to different or to maybe fit in or be more more relatable. And I'm sure you can attest to that. That's really exhausting. um, and, And it wears on you. And I think. That's changed over the years where at some point in time, I was able to change my mindset of, you know what, maybe you should think about how to embrace your identity and who you are. And I really started to think about how unique I am and how I have a great story to tell and can help other people out in this world who go through these similar stories. And that's really helped me become today really comfortable and really proud of who I am. And I think whoever's up there every day that I feel much more confident on loving who I am. And my mom told me a story about a person in our community, and I won't name names again. There are a few other people in our community that have transracial adoptees. And looking back on it, when I was in my 20s, I've always wondered how they were growing up because we grew up in the same community. And I always thought like, gosh, I hope these kids make it through their elementary and high school days without killing themselves. Because I think growing up, there was a lot of those thoughts and that they still exist today. But it's it, it was hard on me. And I know it can be hard on a lot of kids who are born different, so to speak, according to society. And she told me that, you know, one was going through counseling. And that was the first time I heard that. And that kind of confirmed that this person was going through a hard time. And I don't want to give away his age, but it's the age where I felt really started exploring who I was and really questioning things and was able to have my own thoughts. And I think I wanted to Cry on the on the phone call with my mom last week when I heard that, but nothing came out because it's 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 hard to talk about those feelings sometimes. Mm-hmm. But I look back on that, and I think my advice is to anyone out there is that you were put on this earth for a reason, and you do have a purpose. And there's going to be a lot of other people and circumstances that are going to be difficult. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. But I do hope that other people who have similar experiences are able to find support, even if it might not be the people that they think love them or even our family that can search out any other group of people or communities that can support them. And that's why I'm so thankful I found you, Sinead, because, you know, these things were buried deep down inside of myself since I was born. And and now I get to talk about it. And I'm so thankful for this opportunity to say today that I survived my childhood experiences. And now I feel I am contributing to society in a way that I'm very proud of. And I am excited to talk more about my experiences, talk more about eventually going to Korea and in learning more about my heritage. And I think looking back on it when I was a little kid, if I would have told myself at 35 years old that I would feel this way. I went not believed them, And mm-hmm. I just want to say that there is hope out there and you are special and unique and that's good. You know, you're not cookie cutter. Everyone else can look the same, but you can stand out in a good way. So I'm rooting for everyone out there who maybe had maybe a different or ch- childhood experiences or any parents out there that are considering adopted transracial or transnational adoptees. Um our lines are always open. Um, and I know, Sinead, you have a lot of different experiences that we'll talk about on next episode. But that's kind of the purpose behind this podcast is not just to tell our stories, but also be open to building that community and letting other people know that we're out there to talk.
1: Absolutely. Well, I'm really glad that we met too and that you're sharing and that I get to learn your story and hear your perspective. I think it's really important. And I know it's helped me too, I think, navigate even my own story. But that's the beauty of sharing. You know, the shortest distance between two people is a story. So I feel like it's a great way to really build connections.
0: Okay. Yes. And thank you for having me. You ask great questions.
1: Yeah. <laughs> so if you happen to have more questions for Benny, or if you are a transracial adoptee, and you would like to share your story on our podcast, feel free to reach out. You can follow us on Instagram, we're at soul Conversations S-E-O-U-L, as in Seoul, Korea. Or you can shoot us an email, we're soul conversations Podcast at com. And Benny, what's on tap for next week?
0: Next week, we will hear your adoption story. And I cannot wait to hear that.
1: (laughs) I'll get ready to be in the hot seat.
0: (laughs) You'll be in the hot seat, but uh, looking forward to um, hearing your story.
1: Thanks. And it was great hearing yours too.
0: Bye everyone.